This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's good and holy word comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, First Prez. I hope you're happy to be here. I am happy to be here. This is a great day. Um, Ironically, um, it is the 31st of October, which many of you think you know what that day is all about. Let me tell you, actually, it's Reformation Sunday. And you're like, what's the Reformation? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) You can come back tonight at 4 o'clock and learn all about it. So we're encouraging you to do that. Um, But just before we jump in, let's take a moment and pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your blessing upon us, your love for us. Lord, the fact that we can gather here and sit under your word, which is perfect and true. Lord, we are amazed that you care so deeply about us that you want to give us your word, and you have done that. And Lord, so we are thankful for the 66 books of the Bible. We're thankful, Lord, that You, Holy Spirit, protect those books, that you've guided the writers of those books, so that the very thoughts and words that they conveyed are the very thoughts and words that God wished to be conveyed. And so, Lord, we are just so blown away by the detail in which you take into our lives that you've not left us ignorant in any regard, because ultimately, Lord, Without the word, without the preaching of your word, we would not know our desperate need for Jesus. And so, Lord, you love us so deeply that you have communicated that we need Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have ears this morning to hear that. I pray that we would have hearts that are hungry to receive, to know, to love Jesus. Lord, we know that as we already confessed, the the sins that we do so blindly sometimes, but also so willingly, we rob from you, the provider of everything. We we, we rob from you our attention and time and energy and resources. We rob from our neighbors those very same things. And Lord, we are so desperate for need for help, and that's exactly what you sent Jesus to do to help us, to save us, 
from beginning to end, not leaving anything by chance, but everything is worked out in the finished work of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we gather around your word today, may we hear that message. Lord, as we pray each and every week, we pray that we would be strengthened and empowered. Lord, we would not be the same people we leave, when we leave that we were when we walked in that we would have hearts that are full, that we would have hands ready for the task, that we would have minds that are sharp and know Jesus better. And so, God, I pray that this time together would bring you glory and would bring us much good. Pray, Lord, for my words, that they would not be my own, that you would protect them, Lord, that you would guide them, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. God, that I would be faithful. I pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. How many of you really like old game shows? Come on, show hands. All right, I'm one of those guys. I love old game shows. In fact, I'll even search YouTube looking for old game shows. That's the kind of game show nerd I am. All right, there is one particular game show that maybe some of you have never heard of, and the name of that game show is called I've Got a Secret. Anybody never heard of that before? Okay, so most of you, right? That's great. So let me tell you a little bit about that game show. The first of all, it, it was premiered on CBS on June 19th, get this, 1952. And it continued to air until April 3rd, 1967. So it had a good, long, strong run of almost 15 years. That's pretty good, right? Nothing compared to Jeopardy, but a pretty good run for a game show. And ironically, that game show was always in black and white until its last year. From 1966 to 1967, it actually got colorized. It was like, ooh, right? Everybody was excited. It was in color, but it kind of died after that. Well, what was that game show about? Each episode, a celebrity guest would come out, and they would usually pull back the curtains, and as they would pull back the curtains, you would hear the celebrity guest say, my name is blank, and I got a secret. And then there was a panel of four guests who would, throughout the show, be guessing over 15-second in increments what they thought that guest did Okay, so that's kind of the stage for this game show. As you think about that for a moment, I want you to hear some of the people that were on that game show as guests. A man by the name of Samuel J. Seymour. What was his secret? Samuel J. Seymour, he actually saw with his own eyes John Wilkes Booth shoot Abraham Lincoln. How cool is that? I mean, not cool that Abraham Lincoln got shot. But how cool that there was somebody that was able to say, I was an eyewitness of that event. And that's exactly what he was able to see and testify to. That was his secret. Or how about Bobby Fischer, who at the age of 15 became the United States chess champion, 15 years old. Or how about the infamous Colonel Sanders? Colonel Sanders started KFC with $150 from his Social Security check. Aren't we thankful for that $150 today, right? Amen to that. 
These were people that showed up. The, 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 the uh, curtains would be drawn, and they say, hello, my name is, and I got a secret. And they would come out, and the panel spent all of their time trying to guess what that secret was. Now, here's the thing. If you made it through the whole panel for two rounds and they couldn't guess, you got a whopping $80. Isn't that amazing? $80, what a payoff. I mean, that was high-end TV show, game show, right? $80 was what your takeaway was. Ironically, this was a smash hit. People loved to watch what the panel was guessing and thinking through. And yet today, in our text, the very same thing is happening. There's a secret, and that secret is the messianic secret, who Jesus is. And Jesus asks a panel, who do you say that I am? Think about that for a moment. The payoff to that question is entirely different than the whopping $80 from that other game show. The payoff for the correct answer to who Jesus is has eternal value. I want you to think about that for a moment as we jump into our text. The first thing I want to draw your attention to begins at verse 18. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old. Notice what happens here. Jesus is alone. He's he's with the disciples, and Jesus stirs up a conversation. The conversation Jesus is really asking his disciples is in that moment is, according to the street, what are people saying about me? Who, Who do they think I am? What are people saying that that Jesus is, this Jesus of Nazareth? Who are they saying I am? They've heard my words. They've even seen some of my actions. What are they saying about me? Now, it's important to point out that people always have an opinion about Jesus. It's never neutral. And, And I want to prove something to you for a moment. That if you just turn on any sitcom that talks anything about religion, somehow they expose their value system to Jesus. The same is true of all the documentaries you can watch on television. Or even if you want to venture there, you can go to social media and find out what your neighbors really think about Jesus. So what are the types of things we hear? We hear things like, he's a good teacher. He's a good example. He helped a lot of people. Those are the types of responses we get when Jesus is brought up. Ironically, we may even run into a few people who say, I don't believe Jesus ever even existed. Although, I would say any true historian would actually acknowledge Jesus' existence. I don't stand on my own footing on that. Uh, Dr. Riken actually points that out in his commentary, stressing the fact that there is no good historian today that would say Jesus never existed. They would acknowledge the existence of Jesus, but you know what they would deny? His deity. They would say that, yeah, he's a good teacher. Yeah, he does some really special things. He even helps some people. But in no way would they ever say that Jesus is God. Now, if that's what's happening today, what was it like for the disciples? Well, look at their answers. 
they quickly started to say things like, he's John the Baptist. That's who they think you are, Jesus. Or they think you're Elijah. Or they think you're one of the prophets of old. What I want you to notice about all those names is those are people who talked a lot about God and even called people to repent, but none of those people were God. So isn't it ironic that way back in the time of the disciples and even today, we have the same problem. People talk a lot about Jesus, but they don't believe he's God. They don't believe he is who he said he was. Isn't that the way it is? People walk around and they say, I I like Jesus. He's got a lot of good things to say. But what you really discover is that they're picking and choosing the things that they want Jesus to say. Like, I I don't hear very often my neighbors come up to me and say, you know what I really like about Jesus? I like when Jesus says that no one comes to the Father but by him. It never happened to me. And it'll never happen to you either. Because no one who's a non-believer is excited about that truth. Everybody wants to believe there's multiple ways to heaven. There's multiple ways to God. There's multiple ways to have a good life. But notice what Jesus said. I'm it. I'm the only way, Jesus said. Nobody ever brings that up. You know what else they never bring up? They never bring up John 10 where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. They never want to talk about the fact that Jesus believed he was God. That would make him some sort of lunatic in their world. They would rather say, he's a good guy, he's a good teacher. That's where they would rather camp out. They want to ignore any talk of deity or the fact that he alone is the exclusive way to salvation. It was true back then and it's true today. That's the struggle, isn't it? The struggle is understanding Do people really understand Jesus? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus when he said, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Uh, uh, Paul in that writing, as he's talking about Jesus, is really saying everything of any importance finds its source in Jesus. That's how important Jesus is. Jesus is the center of every hope, of every promise. Jesus is the key to unpacking the Bible. But yet, people get Jesus wrong. People twist and manipulate and make Jesus more in their image than the God of the Bible. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. What do your coworkers say about Jesus? What, what are your friends, your neighbors, what do they say about Jesus? Let me get a little closer to home. What does your family say about Jesus? See, it gets uncomfortable when we start talking about family. We, we're comfortable talking about maybe coworkers, maybe even a little comfortable, a little less comfortable maybe about friends, but when we talk about family, it gets really uncomfortable. But if we're honest, do our friends, our coworkers, and our family truly understand who Jesus is? Or do they just think he was a good guy, a good teacher, a helper, a good example? Friends, understand that's dangerous to just believe those things. It's eternally dangerous to only believe those things.
And that's why I think Jesus was bringing it up. Remember, he's making men who are going to go out and proclaim the gospel. These, are, these disciples are going to be apostles who have been given a mission to communicate the gospel. And what's interesting is he, want to make, he wants to make sure that they're aware that the people around them don't truly understand who Jesus is. My fear is that the church today, we're just really comfortable with people being close to Jesus, but not really knowing who Jesus is. We're comfortable when people say, Jesus is a good teacher. We're like, yeah, he is. You're right. But we never push it. We never direct it. We never begin to ask other questions to really help them to get to think, do you, do you like what he teaches? Do, do you know the kind of things Jesus taught? Like he said he's the only way. Isn't that really cool? They're like, no. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah, it is. And do you know that Jesus actually claimed to be God? He must have been crazy, right? Or he really was. See, those are the types of discussions we should be having with our friends, with our coworkers, and with our family. And that's what Jesus was doing exactly with his disciples. He was stirring the pot. He was playing a guessing game. Who do they say that I am? Like Jesus didn't know. Of course he knew. He wanted them to realize what others were saying. And he wants us to know and realize what others are saying. How dangerous is it for someone to say, I really think Jesus is a good person. Jesus is a good example, but they truly do not believe him to be Lord, to be Savior. It's damning. It's damning. They will be held accountable for what knowledge they have and what they've rejected. This is serious. This isn't just some game show for TV. This is life. This matters. And Jesus is saying, we got to get this right. So you know what Jesus does? He turns up the temperature. He kind of cranks up the heat and Jesus goes, you know what? What do you guys say about me? That's kind of unfair, Jesus. Give us some time. We're just getting to know each other, right? We're just kind of hanging out. We're trying to figure this out ourselves. Why don't you tell us who you are? Is that what they did? No. See, I think they really heard the word Jew, and I think they knew what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying, this is about a personal issue. It matters, each individual in this room, what am I saying about Jesus? Who do I believe Jesus really is? It's not enough about what the church says. What do I truly understand about Jesus and who he is? Understand who these individuals were. These were people that were spending time with Jesus. These were people who saw him calm storms. These are people who saw him cast out demons. These are people who got to spend the quiet moments with Jesus. And now Jesus was saying, it's time to ante up. Who am I? Who am I? Dale Ralph Davies, one of the commentators I read, he says, we must never minimize the next few words. What are those words? The words of Peter. You got to love Peter. Peter. <laughs> Peter's that guy who's just like going to jump up, you know. He's the guy who doesn't like silence in a room, right? 
And so Peter's the guy who's immediately going to come to attention. So Jesus asks us a question. You imagine maybe like two minutes went by in silence. No, Peter like immediately as soon as Jesus gets done, he goes, you're the Christ of God. And then he's like, well, what did I say? <laughs> Why is everybody looking at me? Right? You, kind of, you can imagine him just coming forward bold-like with authority and confidence. He screams out, you're the Christ of God. And I go back to what Ralph Davies says. He says, don't minimize that confession. That's a big deal. That's a big deal that Peter acknowledges who Jesus is. He's the Christ of God. What does it even mean? Let's unpack those words for a minute. The word Christ means the anointed one. It's the idea of the promised one. It, the idea of Christ is the one from all of the Old Testament that they longed for. The Messiah. And all through the Old Testament, they're hoping for this one, this anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, to come. Go all the way back as far as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's the very first mention of the hope of Jesus. Notice what it says there. It says the seed of the woman. The promised seed of the woman. What would that seed do? He would crush the head of the serpent. From that moment forward, everyone was looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. The Christ would bring victory. Yes, and Peter says, you're him. You're him. You're the Christ of God. I get it. But where did Peter come up with that? Was it just that Peter was more smart than everybody else? Was he given more secret information? Was it just a good guess? I think it was the grace of God. I think it's the grace of God. I think too often we railroad the grace of God. We think that we're smarter or we can, uh, we can convince people by our arguments and we miss the fact that the only reason any of us believes is because the grace of God. That's a big deal. Peter's confession is the working out of the grace of God in Peter. It's not just people need more information. They need the grace of God. Listen to what John writes in John 15, verse 26, when he's referring to Jesus' words. Jesus said, the helper will be my witness. The helper's the Holy Spirit. The helper's going to come and, and give testimony. And guess what? The Holy Spirit was giving testimony to Peter, and Peter's confessing it. How cool is that? 1 Corinthians 12, 3 builds on that as, as Paul says, no one will say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that you put these ones together and you, these verses and you begin to see that it's the grace of God that enables us to confess and believe the things we can confess and believe. It's not our own. It's not that we're smarter or wiser or better or luckier than anyone else. It's the grace of God. Peter's grace was given to him to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, as the promised one who has power over everything physical and everything spiritual. And you know what? 
Jesus' response really isn't given there. You've got to go to Matthew to hear what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus looks right at Peter according to Matthew 16, beginning of verses 18 and 19. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, we know that Peter's name meant rock. But I believe it was Peter's confession, the confession of who Christ is, that Jesus said, I'll build my church among that confession. Because the true church does confess and believe who Jesus is. And even to come into the, the local church, right, the visible church we call that, made up of sheep and sheep and goats, people that profess but maybe truly don't believe, even those people have to at least give a profession to say they believe to become members of the church, to actually vote at the annual meeting, as Dom talked about. You have to give testimony. You have to give witness. You have to give confession about what you do with Jesus. The ability to truly believe that is grace, the grace of God. And it's upon that confession that Christ will build his church. Here's what I'm really saying, big picture. What we do with Jesus really matters. It really matters. Church, understand this. It's not just faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Did you hear that? Too often we talk about, just, just believe, man, just believe. It's true, just believe. It is about faith, but it's the object of your faith. And this is an important point, because even the demons believe. They have faith. Even other religions have faith, but Jesus says it's faith in me. Listen to what Paul does with this in the book of Romans. Listen to the focal point of the idea of the object of faith in the confession we're told to have in Romans. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Notice it doesn't just say, if you believe. It says, no, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's what you do with Jesus that matters. So church, I ask you, you've been coming to church for a while, or maybe this is the first time you ended up in the sanctuary and you're squeezing the arm of the person next to you and you go, what'd you bring me to? Just know we love you enough to tell you, you need Jesus. What you do with Jesus matters. That's what we want you to understand. Jesus matters. So let me ask you this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good teacher? Is he, is he just a good miracle worker? Is, is Jesus just a good example? Does Jesus just help people? Or is Jesus the Lord and Savior? Is Jesus the one that all of the Old Testament longed for? Is Jesus the hope? See, church, what you do with Jesus really matters. And what's interesting is where Luke picks up. Peter just gives this great confession, a confession that actually Matthew tells us Jesus said, upon that confession, I'll build my church. But Luke 
does something interesting. He jumps right from Peter's confession to look at verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, hey, I have a secret. Who do you think I am? They say, Christ of God. And he says, shh, don't tell anyone. Isn't that interesting? Especially since he just sent them out to cast out demons and to declare the kingdom of God. Actually, the idea here that's captured in the, in the charge, it says they strictly charged or he strictly charged, it actually means a rebuke. They got the answer right and then they get rebuked. I find that hilarious. Like if I did that to my kids, they'd be like, something's wrong with dad. Mom, dad needs some help. They already say that. But, but, but the point being, right? The point being that this is strange. They give the right answer, but they get rebuked. Jesus commanded them to tell no one. Why? I'll tell you why. It's a wrong expectation. It was the wrong expectation at the time. Remember, Jesus isn't gone to the cross yet. Everything's building towards that moment. It's the wrong expectation that we ourselves have post-cross. We, we miss the cross. And see, what it is is everybody wants a theology of glory, but nobody wants a theology of suffering. Did you hear that? Everybody wants a theology of glory, but nobody wants a theology of suffering. Everybody wants the golden ticket to heaven. Everybody wants the streets of gold. Everybody wants the light of the city. Everybody wants the happiness, but nobody wants the suffering. And Jesus knew this. He knew they had the wrong expectation. Everybody wants a theology of glory, but nobody wants a theology of suffering. And Jesus even plays with this is the word choice he uses. Look at verse 22. He uses the phrase, son of man. That was a packed, loaded term. It comes from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Beginning at verse 13, this is the way they understood the book, specifically the son of man. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. So when they thought of the Messiah, when they thought of the the promised one, when they thought of the Christ, they thought of the Son of Man, the victorious one of Daniel, the one who's conqueror and every dominion would be his. Yeah, that's exactly it. What? Yeah, they only saw glory. But notice what Jesus says in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things. 
The son of man, the victorious one, the conqueror, must suffer many things. Then he goes on to name them. He's got to be rejected by the religious leaders. He's got to be killed. And eventually he'll be risen on the third day. What Jesus was saying was the way to glory was through suffering. And notice the key word he gives in verse 22. It must, it must, it must take place. Suffering must happen. This was God's sovereign plan. This was God's plan to save sinners. The cross was where our sin would be atoned for. For Jesus' suffering would bring victory. See, while they talked and read and discussed a lot about Daniel 7, they misunderstood Isaiah 53. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah writes, talking about the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. He goes on to say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, they they wanted the Daniel. They wanted the son of man. But they didn't want the suffering servants. And Jesus is saying, It must happen. The suffering, the cross, is key to the gospel. It's key to why I came. It's key to who I am. But this suffering wasn't understood by most of the Jews, and it was just barely being learned by the disciples. And so it makes complete sense that Jesus would tell the disciples, shh, You don't fully understand yet, but in time you will. At the resurrection, you will. The resurrection, you're going to know what true victory is because there is the proof of forgiveness of sins. Death, the payment for sin, could not keep us down because Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, we win. So I ask you, do we understand that? Do we really? Do we understand that a theology of suffering must precede a theology of glory? Do we really get that? I don't think we do. Because if we did, we would understand what Jesus meant when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. We wouldn't moan and complain and we would see that we're being sanctified in our suffering. We're being identified with our Savior in our suffering. We would understand that's what makes the true glory that awaits so wonderful. Theology of suffering must precede a theology of glory. And this is what Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples got. So church, I ask us, what do we do with Jesus? Because what we do with Jesus matters. 
It matters to know what others say about Jesus. It matters for us to to be able to help them by by answering questions. It helps us to know where their deficiencies are in their theology of the culture and how they think of Jesus. So knowing what others say about Jesus does matter. But what's most important is what we believe about Jesus. Who he is and why he came. So church, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know his mission? Do you really understand that Jesus is the Son of Man, the victorious one, but he's also the suffering servant? And he came to die so that we could live. Do you truly know who Jesus is? Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news we need to preach to ourselves every day. No matter the mess, we need to preach to ourselves the theology of suffering. We need to preach to ourselves the cross because the theology of suffering precedes the theology of glory. That glory is on its way. It's found in the person, the work of Christ. And there he was amongst his disciples saying, I'm here. Shh you don't fully know me yet. Friends, I wonder how many he would say that to us today. Shh. You really don't know me yet. Learn. Listen. Ask for grace. Let me reveal myself to you. And my prayer is that each and every one of us would truly be trusting Jesus today. Because the response And the confession to whose Christ is will bring the greatest blessing we could ever imagine. May we truly trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this challenge that Christ gave the disciples, may it challenge us May it challenge us in our relationships with others, not to just simply to allow them to be wherever they're at, but to challenge their assumptions of who Jesus really is. May we engage in conversations in a healthy way, in a loving way, in a gracious way with our coworkers, with our friends and neighbors, and yes, Lord, with our families. But God, I know that that begins in us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the importance of the cross and the victory it provides. Help us to truly see who Christ is and why he came. And may we depend upon him alone as he's offered in the gospel. May we truly confess the Christ of Scripture. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.